Good morning, Vintage family. I was thinking about this. I usually greet you with like, good morning, Vintage Church, but I'm like, we're, we're more than church. We're family. So I thought I'd just change it up a little bit today. My name is Keegan. I'm the lead pastor here at our Vintage uh, Belton location. If you haven't had a chance uh, to meet me or I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to do that. I'll be in the commons right after the service as always. Um, I do want to remind you about our app. How many of you have the, the app downloaded on your phone? So this is a great tool in case you forget your Bible, or if you don't want to write your notes in uh, old school style, you can fill in the notes as we go along, and I'm telling you that because we have a lot today. So we're going to cover relational health, and there's a lot of lists uh, that we're going to give you with some, some practical application from how God tells us to relate to one another. And so just get ready. I'm just, that's your fair warning. If you, you probably can download the app and fill it out faster than you'll be able to write some of these in manually. So... I uh, just want to start with that, but I'm excited to end this series, uh, not just to end it, but because we have another exciting series coming up next week. In this series, we've been learning about all the different aspects, six areas of health that God wants us to be healthy in, from financial to emotional to mental, uh, spiritual, which is what we started with, and, and now we're talking about relational health. And then next week, we're going to start our new series, An Introduction to the Holy Spirit. How many of you uh, have... Uh, you feel like you've got a great relationship with the Holy Spirit? Anybody? How many of you, like, that's still a little bit new territory in your faith? Okay, that's, it's okay to be honest about that. We can be honest in church, right? Some of y'all are like, yeah, I, I, love, the, I love Jesus, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, interested in this Holy Spirit that y'all talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about that, and I think you're going to find that uh, all of the things that God asks us to do and says that he has for us comes much easier when we do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're going to start talking about next week. But this week, I want to close out with relational health. And I'm going to read. Uh, this is another thing I was thinking about. I bring my Bible up here every Sunday, and I don't usually open it because I've already got my verses on my notes. But I thought I would read out of my Bible today. Is that okay? Just so y'all know proof that I have one and I do use it, I do highlight stuff. Hey, this is modern church. Like, sometimes people just wonder and don't know. Uh, but our scripture, our key passage for this whole series has been in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. You'll see it on the screen. It says this, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. By now, that should be ingrained in all of our heads, Right? We are to run to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. Oof, everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Come on, that's a good passage every time we read it. So today we're talking about relational health, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, there's a lot that we need to do to exercise self-control and exercise discipline when it comes to being relationally healthy. And what I mean by that is we all know there's moments that the best thing said is nothing. Zipping it, right? Come on, my daughter would avoid a lot if she knew more when it was time to not say that remark, right? So a lot, of, a lot of what the scripture is talking about 
really comes down to are we going to surrender ourselves and humble ourselves and be obedient to God's instruction to exercise self-control. And so I want to talk about, first of all, biblical wisdom for relational health. Number one, effective communication. This is what the Bible says in Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. And James 1.19 advises us, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this, everyone, say everyone, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Come on, have you ever heard anybody when you were growing up say you have two ears and one mouth for a reason? You should listen twice as much as you talk. Proverbs 15.1 reminds us that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Have you ever been in an argument and you thought, man, if I just wouldn't have said that, it wouldn't have gone to the next level? Amen. Amen. All, the, all the people who've been married for a while, especially, come on, if you're single, learn right now. Practice in your friendships before you get married, but there's... Listen, there's just things that if, if you can just keep it from falling out of your mouth, things will go a whole lot better, and you won't have to have that regret and have it escalate. So let me give you eight practices of effective communication. Get ready. Number one, practice active listening. Pay attention when someone's talking to you. There is more conversations that we have nowadays that are like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, oh yeah, uh-huh. Doesn't that drive you nuts? It, but we all do it. We're all like, yep, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, heard that. Pay attention. Let's look one another in the eyeballs when someone is talking to us. I'm going to tell you right now, one thing adults love to, when, and are impressed by with, with children and younger people is when they look at them when they're talking. I tell my daughter this all the time. I said, you need to go and thank that person. Thank your teacher. She didn't have to show up today and provide a class for you. You need to look at her and think her. And all of you teachers, you can come tell me if she's not doing it. But I tell her, and, and don't just, oh, thanks. I said, no, look at them when you're telling them thank you so they know you're talking to them. And they know you have your undivided attention. But we've got to, that's called active listening, is paying attention when someone's talking to you. Practice reflective listening. This is a big one. Repeat back to the person you are listening to what you think they have said and ask if you understand correctly. How many of you do this and are good at it? Everybody, did we tape the arms to the chairs today? I just like participation. I mean, we're here together. Let's, let's, let's do this together. But, hey, let's not just assume that we think we understood what somebody said to us. Let's ask. So I think I hear you saying, you want me to pick up my clothes and put them in the dirty hamper and not leave them on the, on the floor. Is that what you're saying? That was a really old example. So I think you're saying, you want me to drive the speed limit. And not just race as fast as I can go. Just ask. Get clarification. Listen, I promise you, none of what we're going to talk about this morning is going to be over your head. This is the simple good stuff that will help you be more effective in your communication. Number three, use I statements. Instead of saying, you did this wrong, try starting with something like, I feel hurt when you do this because. Right? The moment we go into you, 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 we start a fight. It just happens. Because anybody who's getting you, 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 what are they, what's their natural response? Oh, yeah? Well, you, 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 right? You just want to come right back. And that's what starts this whole unhealthy banter. 
Instead, if we could just say, hey, when this happened, this is how I felt about it. You know, and sometimes I feel like you just maybe don't care as much about the things I'm thinking about. You know, maybe you just don't care as much about what I'm trying to do to show you that I care for you and that I, you know, start with how you're feeling, not just attacking the person. Avoid interrupting. This is my biggest pet peeve. We've been in staff meetings, and, and the people that were here are going to attest to this. I stopped the whole thing, and I was like, listen, stop talking over one another. We do it so, like, we're so busy to say the next thing we got to say, it drives me nuts. And then nobody can even hear what anybody's saying because they're too busy thinking about and blurting out what they want to say instead. Stop interrupting and just listen. Let somebody finish their thought. And then you should get a turn where you're not interrupted. Like, man, this is what I came to church to hear about? Yes, because you know how many church fights and church hurt happen because of stuff like this? I mean, that's just the flat truth. Most of the people that leave church don't leave it because there was some big theological difference. They leave it because there was an argument. Or there was a fight. Or they didn't get their way. It's little stuff like this. It's, it's our, how we relate to one another. That's what drives a lot of people away from church. And so we want to address these things. We want to be great. So practice listening better and not interrupting people when they're talking to you. I'm telling you, people will love you. You will go like straight to the top of their favorite people to talk to. Number five, acknowledge nonverbal communication. Sometimes we're like, listen, you got to know how to read the room, right? Don't stay on a song for 10 more minutes if everybody's like, I mean, read the room. You know, if, if there's no response, if, if it feels deader than, you know, a doornail. I don't even know how a doornail can die. Where do these statements come from? But honestly, pay attention to nonverbal communication. Understand when you're talking too long. Come on, we all have that person that just talks and talks and talks, and you're like, I need a way out. <laughs> Somebody rescue me, please. <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you might be that person, or you might live with that person. Listen, talk about that later. I put my phone on airport, and it's still bothering me. I'm done with these I've things. Uh, number six, seek to understand. Here's a big one. How many of us get into conversations just trying to prove our point or just trying to make our case? And we're not really that interested in, in your side of the story or the other person's side of the story. Can I tell you that's not effective communication? You've got to be open to value what the other person is trying to communicate back to you. Or how are you going to get anywhere? You know, you don't want to just dominate every conversation and just, oh, I'm not really interested in your thoughts. I'm just going to tell you what I think, and that's all that matters right now. Well, I can tell you, sometimes that is fair when you're a parent and you're dealing with your child. I don't have to explain to you why I want you to clean your room. Just clean your room. And I don't care about your thoughts about why you didn't do it. I've asked you six times. Just do it. Seven, be clear and concise. Avoid rambling or going off on tangents. Even when you're preaching, <laughs> stick to the main points you want to make. Come on, this is good. A lot of conversations and communication goes wrong because people beat around the bush and they don't just state clearly what they're trying to communicate. 
right? If you need something, oh, man, my mom used to do this to me all the time. She's not here, so I can say it, and she'll listen to it later. But she would ask me, uh, she would say, hey, can you get me something to drink? And I'd say, yeah, what do you want? I'd say, we got, like, you know, Pepsi or Mountain Dew. Those are two things we liked to drink when I was growing up. Pepsi or Mountain Dew, and she'd say, yes. <laughs> what does that mean? Do you want both? Do you want the Pepsi? Do you want the Mountain Dew? Like, just tell me what you want. Be clear so I can deliver you a fresh Mountain Dew with ice or whatever you need. We got to be clear in our communications. Let's not expect the other person to just guess and read our minds and know what we're supposed to be thinking. It'll, it'll work a lot better for us. And eight, be open and honest. Come on. There's no effective communication without honesty. Flat out. And this is tough sometimes. I had a friend who he was uh, dating this girl. They'd been dating for two or three years. And, you know, every, everything was leading up to now they, had, they were engaged. And they were starting to plan the wedding, the whole deal. And uh, I was a uh, roommate with this person in college for a year. And every, him and I had uh, our room and we were part of an apartment uh, with some other guys. And, and every night from about 9 o'clock till maybe 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, they'd be on the phone arguing. She went to another school. And I mean arguing about dumb stuff. I'm sure to them at the time it felt like really big stuff. But in the, the grand scheme of things, it was pretty, pretty trivial. But they would be arguing, just bickering. And finally, one, one day, I just told them, I said, listen, I think you should really slow down this next step of going into, you know, getting married. Like, just because you're, you're moving towards all that and you feel like you have to do that, I said, I'm just telling you, the way you guys are arguing every single day, I said, you don't even have stress in your life yet. Here I was trying to be, you know, extra smart. I was a little older than him, so I did know a little bit. But... I'm sitting here going, bro, you don't have a mortgage yet. You don't have kids in the picture. You don't have, you know, I just got fired from my job. Like, you, you don't have any real stress right now, and you already can't communicate. I said, what do you think that's going to look like five, ten years down the road? And I remember he was so mad at me because, like, I can't believe you're not supporting me, and, and why would you even bring up the possibility of me not marrying her? And I was like, listen, I'm just telling you, I'm going to support you either way as your friend but you don't have to go through with this just because you feel like everything's led up to this and now you just have to, you know, pull the trigger and do it. And sure enough, he didn't, he didn't want to talk to me for a little bit. And he got married, and within two years, they were split up. Because guess what? The communication never got better. And once you added more and more stress and more and more life on top of it, it got a whole lot worse to the point where they just separated. And I'll never forget, a couple years after that, he called me up, and I hadn't talked to him in forever. He said, you know what? He said, you're the only person who was honest with me. He said, and I was so mad at you in that moment. And I thought you were just not my friend. And just, He said, but I realize now you were actually trying to prevent something from happening in my life. Listen, God will use people in our lives to do that. But we've got to be honest. And if he would have just been honest with where their situation, I wasn't even telling them to not marry her. I was just saying, slow down. Maybe go get some help and figure out how to communicate better before you dive into a lifelong commitment. Got to pay attention when God's trying to speak to us. But be honest. Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
So sometimes we do everything we can and we should to have effective communication and be at peace with everyone. But how many of you know there's conflict that comes? Why? Because we're all humans and we all make mistakes and we all don't zip our mouths every single time we should. And we do say stuff. And there are times when we're in such a rush that we don't bother to listen to the other person and we just blah, 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 blah. Come on, that's one of the worst things you can do is come home from work, whether you're a husband or a wife, and just blah, 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 like, you know, that's my, I don't even know what that is, actually. That's what I don't want you to do when you're having conversations. But let's talk about conflict resolution, because it is going to come. And the mark of a mature believer and someone who knows how to have healthy communication and a healthy relationship knows how to get through it. Matthew 18, 15 through 17, if your brother sins against you, Go tell him his fault between you and him alone. I'm going to stop right there. This is where a lot of us go sideways. A lot of us jump to somebody else and pulling them into the thing before we've had that one-on-one moment. If he listens to you, you have won your brother or sister. Don't, don't get caught up in the language. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Come on, right? I've got my version, you've got your version, but if there's witnesses, we have a a third party that can verify. If he doesn't pay attention to them, then tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Come on, in that time, tax collectors and Gentiles were like the worst. Like you just didn't associate with them. If you were Jewish, right, if you were a believer, you just... You don't want to have anything to do with them because they were notorious for taking advantage of people, doing them wrong, stealing. You just didn't want to. They were like scum. I mean, that's how they looked at them. Like, you just don't have any association with them. And so, but this is the last step, right? God says there's a lot of, of ways to, to resolve the conflicts before you have to get to complete disassociation, right? Let me give you five steps to biblical conflict resolution. I told you there's a lot of lists. Number one, identify the problem. You got to know what you're fighting about. (laughs) And again, you can clarify that. Ask questions. What are you really mad about? Come on, we've all been there when somebody's, you know, acting up or, or somebody's irritable. And half the time, it's not even about the thing that just happened. It's about something that happened three weeks ago that we never talked about, that we never resolved. And so it'll pop back up. This is why it's important. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? Because what happens? Next day comes, next day comes, and then another little mishap or another little conflict arises, and you just tack that onto the other one. Before you know it, you're exploding on the other person. And all of it could have been avoided. But identify the problem. Know exactly what the issue is. Number two, address the issue privately. Again, this is so huge. Don't go bring your mom into it, your dad into it, your friend into it. I'm going to tell you, especially married folks, listen, you should be talking to your spouse about your conflicts before you talk to anybody else. If you're going right to, you know, the people on your side, (laughs) don't do that. It shows that person that you don't value them enough and respect them enough to try and work through the issue between you. Number three, if that doesn't work, bring in witnesses. This is where, now if you have gone to someone 
to address a conflict, and they just aren't hearing it. But you know it's something that's, that needs to be addressed and needs to be resolved, needs to be taken care of. At that point, then go get, again, I would say, find a third-party person who's not just on, on team A or team B, right? Because all that is is ganging up, right? Oh, well, they didn't see my point of view. Well, I'm going to go grab somebody else who agrees with me to show them. Well, get ready because that's probably not going to work. <laughs> and then lastly, bring it to church leaders. Now, in this passage, he's talking about conflict within the church, keeping unity within the church. But even issues that are outside of the church, you know, at times, I'll tell you, in the workplace, you get in a fight with somebody in the cubicle next to you. Listen, take them to lunch and just see if you can have a moment just to talk it out. And if that doesn't work, then maybe you go to a supervisor, right, to deal with. This is kind of how this biblical model can still work outside of church. And then at that point, if it doesn't work, you know, you might have to take it to another high, to like go even higher. And then from there, you know, hopefully that you can get the conflict resolved. But if it doesn't, at that point, you might, you might have to disassociate from them as much as you can within the, the confines of your job. You know, you don't have to be best friends with everybody that you work with, especially the people that don't treat you well. You may have to work with them and ask God to give you the grace to do it. And probably, I'll just tell you this, God's probably going to use you in that situation to show them his love if you'll let him. So don't take everything personal either. Sometimes I think God allows these things to pop up and these little conflicts just so that we have an opportunity to respond in the way that he wants us to respond, which, guess what, brings him glory. Doesn't the Bible say that by our good works, people will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven? Good works isn't just the stuff you do here at church on a Sunday. Good works is, is when we're showing kindness outside of these four walls to the people that we're living and doing life with, that we're working with. Number five, regard them as a tax collector or a Gentile. There does come a point when if you have tried in, in the biblical model, if you have tried to resolve a conflict with somebody and they just are not having it, you may have to just break that relationship off. Say, listen, I didn't want it to come to this, but the reality is we're not seeing eye to eye and you're not willing to acknowledge your, your part in it. I'm willing to acknowledge my part. And, and at that point, you just may have to break relationships. Do you know that's okay? Everybody you meet, you don't have to stay into, in a relationship with for the rest of your life. Some people are in our lives for seasons. Some people are in our lives just for a moment. You know, not everybody that you're, that, you're, that you're talking to today is going to be in your life tomorrow or a year from now or five years from now. Some will. Some should. All right. Titus 3, 10 through 11. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, for you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. Again, this is how you, we maintain relational unity within the body. You shouldn't spend time entertaining people that want to bring division. You know God hates that? The Bible says he literally hates it. If you're in, in, in church, especially you're in God's family, and you're one that causes division, I'm just telling you, man, I, I would be very careful if I were you. I would, be, I would be asking God to forgive me. I would be trying to make restoration. 
I think, I think uh, Scripture even says that it'd be worse for you than, than having a, a, a stone, a <laughs> gallstone, <laughs> not a gallstone, millstone, yeah. It'd be worse for you to have that and be thrown into the sea than to be somebody who's divisive. God hates disunity. But this is how it starts a lot of times. It starts because we're not resolving conflict. And so we just take our conflict and share it with someone else and then share it with someone else. And here's the worst part about all of that. Even at that point, if somewhere down the road you end up resolving the conflict, you've still left unresolved conflict in other people's hearts. Because they don't know unless you tell them that you've resolved the actual conflict. That's why it's so important that you don't just go running to other people and involve them in every little dispute that you have. Is this helpful? Number three, healthy boundaries. So we've got to have effective communication, be an effective communicator. We've got to know how to resolve conflict. But one of the things that can save us from a lot of this trouble is initially having healthy boundaries. Romans 12, 2 advises us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And 1 Corinthians 6.12 reminds us that everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. That's a good verse. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Side note, this is what I talk to a lot of people about that, you know, want to experiment with different things. You know, when it comes to alcohol, is it permissible? Is it a sin to have a drink? No, it's not. But I would tell you it's a sin if the Holy Spirit has convicted you about it for you to do it. And it's definitely clear in Scripture that you, ought not, that you don't need to be getting drunk. Right? God gives us clear instruction on that. But even to, even to that point, even if it's allowable or it's permissible, is it beneficial? You know, we don't have to do things just because we can. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of problems we could avoid if we just took this Scripture to heart. And said, you know what, God, I know it's okay for me to do that, but is that really going to benefit me? Is that the best that you have for me? Just ask the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you. And don't be mastered by anything but God. The Bible says that we become slaves to righteousness. We shouldn't be enslaved by anything else or anyone else. I thought I'd get a better amen on that. It doesn't count as much if you got to ask for it. I'm just telling you. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? This is something that a lot of people wrestle with. The whole light and darkness. You know, how much time should I spend with, with people who are lost? Right, because you get you get people on this side. They're like, "Oh, Jesus just loved hanging out with all the sinners," and you know. And then you get the people on this side that are like, "No, Jesus said, you know, unless they unless they start living their life right, or you know, I'm just going to be around them just when they come to church." Or, but here's the bottom line: we're called to love everyone, right? But your deepest relationships should be with other believers. You should be able to, because you can't walk in unity with people that are not believers. 
You know, that's why you see this comes up all the time with parents in particular when they want to talk about how to raise their kids. If Listen, if you've got a parent who wants to raise a kid in church to love God and one that doesn't believe in God, how many know that's going to be really tough? Because that kid's going to go, do I follow Jesus or do I go atheist or agnostic? <laughs> you know, there's, there's going to be turmoil there. And so you've got to walk together with people who believe what you believe. But that doesn't mean you avoid non-believers. How in the world would we be light if we weren't out in the world being light? So don't be afraid to spend time. And here's the thing. When people tell you, well, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus wasn't a close friend with sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners in the sense that he would go and he would get around them. He would allow his influence to influence them. But you pay attention to Jesus' closest circle, his 12 and then the three and then John, who thinks he was like the number one? <laughs> Listen, they were all believers. They were all in one, one accord. And that's how our lives should be. Yes, we can be friends with people that are not saved, but those shouldn't be your closest friends. And you should be praying for them. Okay, I'll leave that one. I'll leave that. Tips for setting healthy boundaries. Let me fly through these. Get you out of here on time. Set limits on how much time and energy you give to others. Everyone is not equal in your life. Ooh. Come on, we have a greater responsibility. There is a hierarchy of responsibility that we have to people in our lives. It starts with God. And then if you're married, your spouse. Right? And then your kids. Because the Bible says that, that if you don't take care of your own, you're worse than an infidel. <laughs> That's pretty strong. And then it's your friends and other people beyond that. Listen, you don't owe the same amount of giving yourself to every single person. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't give the same amount of energy and time to every single person. And so it's okay to have that boundary and say, you know what? I'm not going to go out for the fourth time this week. I'm going to stay home and pay attention to my family and just have a family night or just have a family day. Communicate boundaries clearly. 1 John 4.18, there's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. It's okay to communicate boundaries. You know, there's things that I won't do. There's places that I won't go. Listen, don't try to be the evangelist in a strip club. Right? And if you used to be an alcoholic, maybe the bar's not the best place for you to go hang out. Don't put yourself in a, in a situation, in a place, in an environment that's going to be of a greater temptation to you. Why would you do that? Not beneficial. So have, have clear boundaries. Be considerate. Don't push or try to change someone else's boundaries. And where this really gets, you know, as believers, we got to understand, we have the same beliefs in our essentials. But each of us has different personal convictions, right? I'll give you an example. If you used to drink a lot and you struggle with alcoholism, I've got some, some people I know that, that that's been an issue in their family, not just with them, but in, in generationally. And so you know what? They've, they've made a decision that we're just not going to drink. We're not going to go there. Why? Because we don't want our kids to continue on in that same struggle. They want to they see it stop with them. And so by the grace of God, they've just stopped. And it's awesome. And they're excited and they're, they're feeling the presence of God in their life even more. Why? Because they listen to him. 
it wasn't wrong for them to, to, to have a beer or have whatever, but they know for them, based on their personal conviction, that it would be wrong. And you know what? They've told their friends, and so guess what their friends are doing? You think their friends are inviting them to go have a beer? No. Why? Because we're considerate. That's how you honor each other. You know, if you know somebody's, you know, doesn't like pork, don't invite them to bacon and eggs. Take them to go get, go to Water Street Waffles and get waffles instead or something. It's just being considerate. Honor the, the expectation and, and allow that. You know, I love when people are like, hey, we're going to come eat. What do you like to eat? People ask me that. I love it. Because now it takes away the guessing game of like, oh, great, am I going to get there and they're going to have octopus? And I'm going to have to be like, I don't eat octopus. But just ask. Just communicate. Be clear. And be considerate. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. And I'll say this too. Paul also said that as mature believers... We need to go that extra mile for those that are newer believers. You know, even if it's okay for you, I don't know why I'm on the beer thing today, but I think that's because a lot of people wrestle with that. It's a real practical thing. But even if you're fine having a beer and you're not sure if people that you're going out to eat with are okay with it or not, listen, just don't. Just don't. Why? Because you wouldn't want to offend them. You wouldn't want to put them in an uncomfortable position. I'm telling you, the more you mature in God, the more God's going to put that onus on you. You can't just go, well, they should just be, you know, they should just grow up in God and not have a problem with me having that. No, that's not how God works. He says you respect them. You show them how you humble yourself. And quite frankly, if you can't not have the beer, now we need to have another conversation. (laughs) A last one, learn to say yes or no. It's okay to set boundaries and say no to your mother-in-law, to your father-in-law, to your friends. Or demands that don't align with your values. Matthew 5, 37. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Can we just say what we mean and mean what we say? And be okay with that? It'll just improve everything. Let your yes be yes. And if you're not ready to give a yes, set a boundary of saying, you know what, I need to think about this a little bit before I answer you. That's okay. That's actually healthy. There's a story in the Bible where they, Jesus says, or they ask, I think they're asking Jesus, who are you more impressed with? The one who instantly said yes to you and then went away and didn't do it? Or the one who said no up front and then later came back and did it? And Jesus said, the one who said no up front but later came back and did it. Why is that? Because talk is cheap. Right? Don't say yes if you're not ready to fully commit in anything. You will stand out in the world if your yes means yes. When your boss comes to you and knows that you're not just trying to people please, you're not just trying to give them the answer they want to hear. That's actually being biblical. Follow through. Let me pray for you. I'm over a little bit. And I want to give you just a moment. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe this is all new to you, this whole going to church and hearing about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you, that he paid the price for your sin, 
and my sin. And the greatest decision we can ever make in our life is to surrender our lives to him. And if you want to walk in health in every aspect of your life, you're not going to be able to do it without the power of the Spirit of God working in your life. So this morning, I want to give you a chance to just say, you know what, Lord? I want to start living my life according to your ways, living according to your truth, so that I can experience everything that you want me to experience. And for those of you that have made a decision, maybe before, to serve God, but honestly, you, you really have not, you kind of said yes, but then like that story, you just kind of waltzed off and haven't really followed through. Come on, today can be the day where you recommit. Say, you know what, God, I'm going I'm to surrender again to you. And I'm going to mean it this time. I'm going to follow through. If you're in either one of those places today, I want to just give you a chance to raise your hand. No head up, no eyes looking around. Just raise your hand on a count of three. One, two, three. If you're saying, I need to get right with God today. Thank you for that hand. God wants us to be healthy. Let me pray for you. And if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this. We're going to pray this all together. Repeat after me if you would. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, this glorious day, this moment that you've given me to come to know you. I thank you that you care enough about me to have died for my sin, that you care about my health in every aspect. Right now, I acknowledge that I need you. I receive your gift of salvation. I admit that I'm a sinner, and I thank you for paying the price for my sin. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior this day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all.